the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Your uh, your hour six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Bill, my producer, uh, said the Coca Cola boycott. That's gonna um, it's gonna be a lot of things. Minute Maid, Desanti, Sprite, Schweppes, vitamin water. Okay, fine. Without it, they want to engage in a race war. I don't want them. I don't want them. Keith is in Atlanta. Hello, Keith. Hey, Seth. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm doing all right. Hey, I would like to touch on that um, that project that Coca-Cola is uh, doing. And I'll tell you another thing. Someone from NCR gave, me, gave to me what had happened to him. They're doing the same thing. But anyways, the, the way the left talks about it is like near tandem. <clears throat> but not only that. I would like to see a side-by-side comparison of a press conference with Biden and a press conference with Trump. And ask the media, and ask Neera Tandon, ask them, why do you hate us so much? And and have them give an honest answer. I mean, because it, it really is hate to carry that much anger and spew it the way they do. It's hatred and disdainment towards us. And, and ask them, why do you feel this way about us? Do you think that we're stupid? Do you think that we're worthless? What? Is it because we don't go along and agree with your points of view? And if you, if it's because of that, that's, that is one of the most un-American things there because America is a nation that embraces multiple points of view, puts it out to the public square, see which ideas are proper, which one, which ideas are better. Let everyone learn from our different points of views. Some people are right, some people are wrong, but we learn from each other. But to censor some people's points of view, even though they may be right or wrong, we don't learn from it. But, hey. but I would like to ask a liberal, why do you hate us so much? Because I don't hate them. I, I, I will play the devil's advocate in the quick answer, and then I want to analyze it from our mutual perspective with you, Keith. I think from their perspective, they will say, no, you guys are the haters. Okay. That, that's what they will say, that we are the haters and that we engage in uh, uh, not only hate speech, but uh, that it leads to hate action. Um, let me circle back to that. So just bookmark that for a moment, because I'll tell you why I think they do hate us so much. And I think Prager, Dennis, was onto it in his Wall Street Journal column today. He had a column today in the Wall Street Journal talking about all these people that denounced Rush Limbaugh as divisive. Um, it's because he and we call them out on it. You know, they think it's just fine, just fine 
and appropriate to call America systematically racist and every white American racist. They think it's just fine to separate college dorms and graduating exercises by race. Thinking it's just fine to change our founding from 1776 to 1619, so it's freedom, not slavery, that we were based on. They think it's just fine, in fact, more than fine, enlightening, to force high school girls to race against biological males who identify as females. They think it's just fine to remove non-denominational moments of silence and prayers in the public schools. They think it's just fine. And if we're going to call them out, no one likes the truth teller. No one likes, was it Moliere who wrote The Enemy of the People? No one likes the truth teller. No one likes the person who, uh, the child who says the emperor has no clothes. They must be silenced, right? And if you can't silence them via, uh, via censorship, you silence them in another way, with an appellation like racist, with an appellation like tyrant and fascist. Um, that, that's how you do it. And in the America I grew up in, I, th- I don't know if you're older than me or not, but in the America I grew up in, Keith, there, was few th- there were few things worse to call someone or to be identified as than a racist um, or a sexist uh, or someone who could be accused of even engaging in the kind of things they accused Brett Kavanaugh in, on. Those were about the two or three worst things short of murder you could accuse someone of. And, you know, something, uh, something makes me choke a little when I say that. When I say short of murder, because I think about the O.J. Simpson trial for a moment and you think about what some of those jurors said after the trial, you know what they said? They said, yeah, we, 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 we know what the facts were, but we had we had we had to we had to do a little payback here, which 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 showed you that to at least a certain part of a viewpoint, racism was worse than murder. Um, fine, uh, we can discuss all that. But that is, to me, the answer as to why they hate us so, is we call them out on it. We call them out on it. I have never in any... I have never in any public debate that I can think of had to resort to those terms or terminologies. And and the reason I haven't is is because of the reasons you said, Keith. I believe in a romantic view of rhetoric where you put two ideas into a marketplace and you give them their best shot and see what people select and choose. That's how you get consent of the governed. That's how you get consent, frankly. Never mind consent of the governed. That's just how you get consent, where people get to select and choose and argue the merits and demerits of any case or issue. And you know, it's 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 now it's now just it's now just a lot different. It's now a lot different where one side of the political spectrum, ours, is considered so beyond the pale that it shouldn't be allowed to be selected and it shouldn't be allowed to be ventilated and debated and aired because of the what I would call tyrannical certainty the left has about what they believe. They have turned political beliefs into a, theolog- uh, into a theology that if you question, you will be burned at the stake. That is a good point. That the left is actually on the level of a, a theology today. 
I mean, the global warming issue. I mean, it's like worship Mother Earth, whatever. And if you question it, then it's because you have deviant means to, to question That's right. the man-made global warming. Everything it is, it is a faith, and it's, and you could see. I'm a Christian, and but I'm open. If you want to prove my faith to be wrong, I want to hear it because I want to be open to, to be enlightened to the truth if I'm wrong. Well, so you know, no that's an interesting it. point, too. I, I, You know, that's interesting. Probably a lot of people would agree with you and others wouldn't, and it's okay either way, in my view, because politics is not the same to me as faith or religion or theology. I, You know, theology requires certain leaps of faith, I think, and it, it, it's not exactly the same thing as reason, which is why I think our our country is so great, one, by disestablishing religion from government, two, no religious tests, three, doing everything we could to combine a morality from the Bible along with a philosophy that comes from, you know, ancient Greece uh, that, that, that understands man to have reason and, and, and the ability to think and communicate. So I think our blending is, is what's made us so great until now. What I think the but, left but I- has done is they've perverted They've perverted the whole notion of faith to intrude it into, to invade it into the realm of reason. So they take out categories that we can discuss and reason about. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. But but I would argue that politics, uh, liberalism is their faith. And I'll, yes, and yes, I'll argue this. Guess. That's my point. Right. We're on the same page. I'll argue this because they removed God out of the equation. Therefore, the highest authority to answer to is government. And that's what they want us, even as Christians, or no matter what our faith is, to submit our will to their beliefs. And that's, it really is their faith. And they want to impose their will on us. Yes, I agree with that. The funny thing is they don't see the theological fanaticism of their point of view while they call us theological fanatics. That's the funny thing. That's the funny thing. Yeah. I agree with you about that, Keith. I agree. Beware the person who engages in labels, because um, I think it's the first sign of a non-thinker. I think the first sign of a non-thinker is a defamer. So when someone tells me someone's a racist that I find interesting, I do my own research. Um, If someone tells me someone's a fanatic because of something I find they think interesting, I'm going to do my own research. Because I will not take politics on faith. I'll take faith on faith. The left, their problem is they have made a faith of politics. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I be Seth. Phone number 602-508-0960. Don is in Phoenix. Hello, Don. Uh, hi, Seth. Happy Friday. Thank you, and to you as well, sir. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, I have a theory as to why they hate us. And, uh, well, hate is, uh, hatred is like the easiest and, frankly, the laziest way to implement control over a people, I think. And uh, it's like the uh, abusive husband, you know, mistreating his wife to keep her unfinished. And I just 
think they're after absolute power, you know, the current class of Democrats. And apparently, you know, the white middle class vote the only thing standing in their way to uh, have total control over everything and absolute power, which I think is evil, you know, global domination. You know what's and kind I, of I was kind I of thinking it. about? Uh, sorry, go ahead. You go ahead. Go ahead. You know what I was kind of put in mind of when this question came up? Why do they hate us? The last time I heard that question asked in a big way was around September 11th, uh, 2001. You know, why do they, they remember all these all these columns and articles and essays? Why do they hate us? In this case, the radical Islamists and. Yeah. There's any number of reasons people proffered, smart people proffered from, and us being all of America at that time, all kinds of answers were proffered, like they resent our success. Um, but the best answer I ever heard, and the one that made the most sense to me, and I think it's applicable here in the same way, was one by Michael Ledeen, old friend of mine, used to used to uh, be a scholar. Uh, he, well, I guess he still is a scholar over at the Hudson Institute. And he said, they hate us simply because we are in their way. I thought that was smart, simple and smart. They hate us because we are in their way. We're in their way of imposing, you know, their dark veil of theology across an unwitting or unwilling population. We're in their way in any number of geopolitical spheres were in their way in protecting uh, Christians and Jews and non-theological Islamists. We were in their way that way then. And I think here, too, if I could do it, if I could make the analogy here, too, they hate conservatives, the left does, because we are in their way. We don't comply with their worldview to start with at a simple level. We have an opposing worldview. We think America's good and want to stand up and sing the national anthem, and they don't. We want to celebrate the 4th of July. They want to give us some new date and some new year. We want to celebrate freedom and equality. They want to lecture us that that's not really what this country is about. But we're in their way. We, we don't comply. We resist, if you will. We resist. We resist their dark veil. We resist their imposition. The funny thing is they have won so much and we have won so little or we have maintained so little is perhaps the better way to put it. Such that someone was saying the other day, take Rush Limbaugh as an example. You look at all the slings and arrows and condemnations and criticisms he got from day one 33 years ago. He was the only one. They had NPR and PBS and ABC and CBS and CNN and NBC and The Washington Post and The New York Times. They had all of it. They had the whole world of media. He was the only one on the conservative side, and they tried to kill it him off and have been trying ever since. It's interesting. You know, they have so much. We have so little. We have Hillsdale. You know, that's all we got. Maybe two other colleges you could think of, but that's about it. That's all. That's all we got. Hollywood, we got nothing. Mainstream newspapers, yeah. major newspapers, nothing. 
major network yeah, television, that's... nothing. Major corporations, well, we had a few. They've taken over those, too. I'm thinking of places like Chick-fil-A. Maybe we have another one. I can't think of it off the top of my head. We, yeah, yeah, but is that a major corporation? My bill was saying Hobby Lobby, which is a good example, but is it a major? No. They went after bakers, mom-and-pop bakeries they had to shut down because they didn't agree with their view of family, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's, it, they do not want us to exist. And, it's, and, and so when I say it's because we're in their way, I temper it a little. Because how much in their way was that mom-and-pop sh- mom bakery? How much in, in their way was, that, was that, that little outfit here in Phoenix that, that, did, that, made, car, uh, that made artistic uh, thank-you cards and wedding invitations? Well, that's, that's where they're, uh, you know, it's like convert or be destroyed. They don't want anybody disagreeing with them, you know. And they come after uh, minority conservatives ten times harder also, you know. They just, they want to. It's it's a conformity, which is an interesting thing for a leftist to talk of or or think of or or try to impose. Because I I remember when I was in college, the notion was not to be a conformist. You know what happened to all those great graduation commencement speeches and bumper stickers? You know, find your own road, don't conform. You know, um, what 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 happened to all those notions? They didn't mean it. Is what happened to it? They didn't mean it. They didn't mean it. They wanted us to conform, you know. Go to a go 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 to go to a liberal college and wear a you know a Trump shirt and see how much they don't want you to see how much they believe in you not conforming. You might not yeah, get away with your life. It, yeah. You may not. You may not get away with your life. Why is it that when Ben Shapiro or Ann Coulter or Dennis Prager or Heather MacDonald? give a lecture at a university, they need security, private security. Why is that? And why is it that any leftist scholar doesn't? Because they are thugs and tyrants who cannot let you hear one outside voice. These are outside voices that come and give talks on colleges when they can. They can't let one outside voice in. Heather was put in fear of her life at Claremont McKenna. Charles Murray had rocks thrown at him. Ben Shapiro gets canceled all the time under the pretext of security. And they never arrest the students. They never arrest the students throwing the rocks and brickbats. They just cancel the speaker out of fear of, fear of safety problems. Because God forbid someone come and sound like John Kennedy on a college campus. God forbid someone come and sound like Joe Lieberman on a college campus. That's tyranny. That's tyranny. I I, I think it is an incredible thing. The former president of the United States has no social media presence because he cannot. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. If you missed my monologues, they're all available at YouTube. Go to YouTube.com and just put 960 The Patriot in the search term. Hit subscribe. It's all free, and you can get them. Charles in Phoenix wrote me something here yesterday I wanted to read to you. A response to a lot of these newspaper critics 
Rush Limbaugh will be remembered a lot longer than all the petty little critics with their insults who ironically in the world of political commentary commentary had doors opened for them, some directly, most indirectly, by the efforts of Rush, Rush Limbaugh as he pioneered a new revitalized talk radio. And they don't even know it. Of course, the critics call Rush divisive, controversial. The only reason he is divisive, controversial, is because he spoke about the truth and honesty, which nowadays is considered divisive and controversial. Rush was the first to voice the concerns of conservatives, allowing it to be acceptable, considering conservatives are thought of in the media to be what could be referred to as the away team. As sad as the passing of Limbaugh is, what is even sadder is the reaction from a lot of those small people and little critics from the woke crowd that claim they alone get it, hence the term woke. A media columnist in the Arizona Republic wrote that, quote, Limbaugh didn't invent the notion that he was right and if you disagreed, you were wrong, close quote. That comment was all in an attempt to shape the negativity while not avoiding the recognition, however so reluctantly it is received. The columnist was right, you know, the notion was not invented by Rush. It was and is perpetuated by the left. Rush did invent a brand of AM, uh, uh, did invent a brand of AM saving conservative talk radio that resisted the notion because the council culture is not, never was conservative. It was the left's crowd who canceled and removed from the public the likes of Kurt Schilling, Roseanne, Parler, Gina Carano, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Mike Lindell, Tim Allen, and many others. Canceled because the left-leaning media and social media didn't like what those folks had to say. And when the president of the United States is even silenced, then it is more than just a slippery slope. It is the top of Mount Everest. Russia's legacy isn't complicated. It is one individual giving voice to all the people the critics ridicule in their writings every day. The critics' writings were deemed acceptable. Rush didn't vo voice hatred. He shined a light on it. Conservatism in the national media had a big challenge before Rush passed away. Others had already taken up the sword, whether it was Larry Elder or Hannity or Laura or Breitbart, the original pioneers of Fox News. But Fox is now a network in turmoil with a new movement within turning back to the conservative alternative that some in front office had desired to overturn until monster ratings going in the other direction woke them. They've even decided to give the wittier, reverent, sometimes painfully honest show host Greg Gutfeld, a one-time protege of Andrew Breitbart, an expansion of his Saturday show. Another Fox diamond in the rough, maybe Peter Ducey, an old-fashioned Fox reporter still in a young man's clothes. As mentioned before, Fox is clearly a network at war with itself. On one hand, you will have the network that went too pro-Biden too fast, fired Trish Reagan and Lou Dobbs, and still showcases the liberal rantings of Chris Wallace, and on the other hand maintains some of the iconic anchors, like Sean, Lauren, Tucker, and even allows Mark Levin, Mark Levin, the space to voice his well-planned-out monologues. But significant... In the Fox landscape was the White House briefing room assignment given to Peter Ducey, the son of longtime Fox personality, Steve Ducey. Ducey is the one reporter who holds Jen Psaki's feet to the fire, while the usual suspects in the room from the usual network have moved back to their comatose dealings with the new president, inadvertently leaving young Ducey to make the headlines with his questions of the new and one-time former press secretary. 
the point of all this is simple. If we had more Peter Ducey's in that room, we might see more of just how little the new administration actually cares about the truth, the people, and getting anything constructive done. And it is up to the remaining folks in the conservative communications world to carry on for Rush, taking the issues and running with them, taking the issues and bringing them to the feet of the administration that would just as soon avoid the Peter Ducey's asking about them, taking the issues to the people and reminding them that others feel as they feel and others will do that regardless of Russia's absence. The legacy of Russia's the ones that come along and pick up the sword, the sword that comes in the shape of a microphone, a pen, and a conscience. Well done, Charles. Really well done. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Probably most of us don't get enough fruits and vegetables, but even if you do, balance of nature is still for you. And if you don't, it sure is for you. You get 31 different fruits and veggies through 10 servings of fruits and veggies in one daily dose of balance of nature. I take it every day. It has kept me healthy for well over a year now. It's my most favorite product I've ever taken or endorsed. All natural, vine-ripened fruits and veggies picked at their peak of ripeness. No sugars, no chemicals, no GMOs. All good, powerful, potent stuff from garlic and cayenne pepper, wheatgrass to mango, oranges, pineapple, papaya, blueberries. They reduce uh, all this using a unique cold press process into vegetarian capsules, giving you nothing but tens of thousands of vital nutrients every day. You want to boost your immunity? Balance of nature is for you. Boost your energy, your health? Balance of nature is for you. And they have a great deal. Free shipping and 35% off any new preferred order of their fruits and veggies. Give them a call at 800-246-8751 or go to balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Science, 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 science. Follow the science. Well, um... It's been tweeted out here. It's been two weeks since the Super Bowl super spreader event in Florida. The experts and mainstream media once again all predicted death and destruction. What actually happened? Cases, hospitalizations, positivity, and corona-like illnesses all down. All down. All down. Part of this has to do with what Marty McCary of Johns Hopkins University wrote about today, saying by April we'll all have herd immunity. Um, it's a really important op-ed worth, worth reading over at uh, the Wall Street Journal if you have a, have a chance. Uh, basically, he puts it this way, COVID-19 deaths in the U.S. suggest that there is much broader immunity than recognized. About one in 600 Americans has died with covid which translates to a population fatality rate of about 0.1%, percent The COVID-19 infection fatality rate is about 0.23%. These numbers indicate that roughly two-thirds of the population has the infection. Think about that. Think about that. Too often, medical experts dismiss natural immunity, arguing we don't have the data. The data certainly doesn't fit the classic randomized controlled trial model of the old guard establishment. There is no way to do it. You can't have a control group <laughs> in America. But the observational data is compelling. Um, 
what would be great, he argues, is if more Americans with prior infections forego the vaccines until all vulnerable seniors get their first dose. Several studies demonstrate that natural immunity should protect those who had COVID-19 until more vaccines are available. Um, Half my medical friends, he writes, told me good idea. The other half said, again, there's not enough data on natural immunity, despite the fact that reinfections have occurred in less than 1% of the people. And when they do occur, they're mild. But the consistent and rapid decline in daily cases since January can be explained only by natural immunity. Behavior didn't suddenly improve over the holidays. Americans traveled more over Christmas than they had since March. And vaccines don't explain the steep decline in January. Vaccination rates were low then, and they are taking weeks to kick in. My prediction that COVID-19 will be mostly gone by April is based on lab data, math data, and published literature. But it's also based on direct observation of how hard testing has been to get, especially for the poor. If you live in a wealthy community, we're worried people are vigilant about getting tested. You might think that most infections are captured by testing. But if you have seen the many barriers to testing for low-income Americans, you might think that very few infections have been captured at testing centers. Keep in mind, most infections are asymptomatic, which also will trigger, still triggers natural immunity. Many experts, along with politicians and journalists, are afraid to talk about herd immunity. The term has political overtones because some suggest the U.S. simply let COVID rip to achieve herd immunity, a reckless idea. But herd immunity is the inevitable result of viral spread and vaccination. When the chain of virus transmission has been broken in multiple places, it's hard to spread. And that includes new strains. Herd immunity has been well documented in the Brazilian city of Manaus, where researchers in Lancet reported the prevalence of prior COVID infection to be 76%, resulting in a significant slow of the infection. Doctors are watching a new strain that threatens to evade prior immunity, but countries where new variants have emerged, such as the UK, South Africa, and Brazil, are seeing declines, daily declines in new cases. The risk of new variants mutating around the prior vaccinated or natural immunity should be a reminder that COVID-19 will persist for decades after the pandemic is over. It should also instill a sense of urgency to develop, authorize, and administer a vaccine targeted to new variants. Some experts privately agreed that my prediction that there will be very little COVID-19 by April, but suggested I not talk about it publicly because people might become complacent and fail to take precautions or decline vaccines. But scientists shouldn't try to manipulate the public by hiding the truth. There you go. Let's let's not be hiding the truth, because that's science, too. Be right back. Thanks for spending uh, some of your afternoon, some of your week with us, uh, week pregnant with uh, importance, implications, tears for passing things and honor, and that the honorable finds its due. I had made mention towards the end of the show yesterday, theme I sometimes were down to about how sometimes people from other countries get us better than we get ourselves. And I thought I'd give you a few examples beyond the usual. Of course, you know Winston Churchill 
got us better and knew us better than so many. After Pearl Harbor, he wrote, the United States is like a gigantic boiler. Once the fire is lighted under it, there is no limit to the power it can generate. Back in the uh, 19th century, James Bryce wrote, the Americans are at bottom a conservative people in virtue both of the deep instincts of their race and of that practical shrewdness which recognizes the value of permanence and solidity in institutions. They are conservative in their fundamental beliefs, the structure of their governments and their social and domestic usages. They are like a tree whose pendulous shoots quiver in a rustle with the lightest breeze while its roots enfold the rock with a grasp which storms cannot loosen. Of course, there's always my favorite G.K. Chesterton, the American ideal of equality. It's not some crude fairy tale about all men being equally tall or equally tricky, which we not only cannot believe, but cannot believe in anybody believing. It is an absolute of morals by which all men have a value invariable and indestructible and a dignity as intangible as death. Let us strive to keep faith not with ourselves, but with those who taught us about ourselves, who taught us so well. I wish you all a very good weekend. Until Monday, I'm Seth Leibson. God bless you all, and class dismissed.